0: So please turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 6 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah and as we wrap up this very important chapter in this book, Isaiah chapter 6. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with the text this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we recognize you as the author of this word that we have before us. We recognize this word as true and as authoritative over our lives, even though we don't always demonstrate that we recognize that. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would use it to convict us of our sin, to show us the truth of our own hearts and our need of you more and more. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in order to introduce our text today, I'd like for you to keep your finger in Isaiah 6, but turn with me to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13 has a picture of what we've been talking about, what we've talked about last week, and we'll look at the same idea again. Remember we talked about King Uzziah and his leprosy. Well, Leviticus 13 has this picture of why the leper is supposed to live as Uzziah did. So Leviticus 13, starting at verse 45. It says the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain as long as he has the disease or he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And outside the camp meaning outside the, the whole of the people of God. They set up camp and they moved around and the leper was supposed to be completely on the outside of that. When I was a kid, I was given this picture a lot, different Sunday school lessons and so forth, of the leper having to go through the streets shouting unclean, unclean, very vivid Imagery, having to walk through with torn clothes as a symbol of their own uncleanliness. And they covered their upper lip, shouting unclean. It's a pretty vivid image. They were to live alone, away from the people of God, away from all civilization. Interesting thing about leprosy as a disease, it's not nearly as contagious as as they thought but it is it is a contagious disease but it has to do mainly with the con- with contact and the from the mouth and the nose and that's how you catch it and so they knew that back then at least in part because what did they have them do they had them walk down the street with their mouth covered up shouting unclean remember Uzziah he stormed into the temple and with this pride, thinking that he should be able to go into the temple and do as he pleased. Well, the Lord did as he pleased and struck him down with leprosy. The king was there for 50 years. He was a king of Judah. And a good portion of that, he was very prosperous. Yet for a dozen or so years, he was a man of unclean lips. And he had this leprosy and around him were people who were also unclean, with leprosy, and his people, the people of Judah, unclean spiritually. As we look at the passage this week, we're going to borrow quite a bit from last week's passages. A passage that kind of sets us up in the understanding of that, that God is holy, and it helps us to understand the difficulty of Isaiah's message that he has. For us, understanding the holiness of God helps us to understand the task that we have in evangelism today. It can be one of the most frustrating things that we do as Christians, if we're honest, because the world turns away from the things of God and it readily turns toward itself. And that's very frustrating for us who now believe and who want them to believe, too. We might want to think that it's worse today than it's ever been but just read through the gospels and read the book of acts as we studied the book of acts and you see that people have been responding negatively to the gospels forever as long as they've been around but there were also positive responses as well people came to the faith even though the message was difficult and so while i think that it can be very or we can be effective in delivering our message, we can we can do that. We can have an effective delivery. Our success isn't dependent upon our ability at all, but it's dependent upon the Lord who opens hearts and the minds of the receiver. That's why he continues to use broken vessels like Isaiah and like ourselves. So as we look at this passage today, I want to look at it in three main ideas. The call for a messenger, the task of the messenger, and then the thread of hope. And so with that, let's look at the text today. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 8 and reading through the rest of the chapter. Please stand with me as we read from God's Word. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord, Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we read through this passage, you kind of get a little bit of despair, uh, to put it mildly. But interestingly enough, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 are one of the most quoted portions of of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Chapter Acts chapter 28, which we studied through Acts and saw this. Paul, was speaking of his own task in evangelism and preaching the gospel, and he, and he quoted from this. Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he quotes from this particular passage, speaking of the inability of people to hear and perceive the message of God. Paul quotes from it again. Romans chapter 11, speaking of the Jewish people particularly there. The idea is copied several times in the book of Isaiah. As we study through this, we're going to see this idea come up again throughout the book. The idea is copied also in several of Isaiah's contemporaries like Amos and Hosea. They mention this idea that the people aren't able to hear and aren't able to see and aren't able to understand. And it's the Lord that is doing that. Jeremiah, who would come... Much later, uh, when all the prophecies in this book were actually coming to pass, Jeremiah was doing his work, and he speaks of this, of a people who cannot listen and hear and understand and see. One saying that you'll read over and over again in Jesus' own teachings is this, He who has ears, let him hear. And you've probably read through the Gospel of Matthew in particular, and you've read this, and you've thought, what is he talking about? Well, this is an allusion to this very idea, which of course makes sense because the Lord whom Isaiah saw high and lifted up was God the Son who gave these words to Isaiah in this vision of the temple. Turn with me to John chapter 12, as we'll see this very idea. John chapter 12, starting at verse 37. Here's Jesus looking at and speaking about the unbelief of the people. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many or so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For Isaiah again said, and he's quoting our passage this morning, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, Jesus. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. That was Jesus on the throne that Isaiah saw and he spoke of here. Verse 42. Nevertheless, many... Even of the authorities believed in him, but no fear of the Pharisees, or no, for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's the crux of the whole idea right there at the end. Man seeks his own glory, and therefore cannot and will not see the glory of the Lord yet this is the message that we have to give and that brings me to the first point the call of the messenger verse 8 back in isaiah chapter 6 and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and then i said here i am send me very very uh, popular verse you've all heard it it's a rallying cry of short-term mission trips and churches all over the country which is fine i'm not putting those down necessarily but i think many times they're missing the point of what is being portrayed here particularly as they don't read verse 9 which is not as happy isaiah enters the vision of the temple as an unclean man he says so himself he pronounces woe on himself a man of unclean lips like the leper covering his hand over his mouth shouting unclean, unclean. And he's before the Lord and he knows that even all the more as he sees the perfection and the holiness of the Lord. Remember back in verses 6 and 7 what happened as a result of this. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And this angel goes over to the the and takes out a coal and goes and touches Isaiah's unclean lips with this hot coal, cauterizing them. It's a pretty vivid picture. And what was the message of the angel after that happened? Verse 7. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taking away. Your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah is a messenger now that has been cleansed of the guilt that he shared with the people that he is now going to be sent to preach to. He was a man of unclean lips. That was atoned for. He was from a people of unclean lips. There's a problem that Isaiah has, though. He's not going to have an angel flying around with him with a lump of coal to cauterize everybody's mouth. That would have been handy. Isaiah himself was unable to stand in the place of this people that he loved so much. So because they are, they have this sin, because they are a people of unclean lips, what has to be the message then that Isaiah brings to them? Judgment. Judgment because the people of God cannot be unclean. In the sight of a holy God. God does not permit anything unclean among his people. Just read the whole book of Leviticus if you're unsure about that point. This is why the leper had to live alone. And now they are a people. All the people. All of God's people are unclean. What is the way to remove that from them? Do they all have to go outside the the, uh, village or outside the tent? Yes, they all must face judgment. All the sheep and bull sacrifices in the world cannot wipe clean the taint of sin of the people of Judah. God has planned to cleanse them. He's going to use their enemies to do that. Assyria and Babylon he talks about that there in verse 11 and 12. That is exactly the picture of what's going to go on. It's going to be cleansed. This brothers and sisters in christ is the message that we have we're going to go a bit more into that task in the next point but let's just look at this call who shall i send who will go for us this isn't a call to go do vbs and build a shed in someone's backyard now those things are good vbs is great building sheds for people is fantastic But if they aren't accompanied with the gospel message, what good are they? What good is it to do those things? And to make sure that we're clear about this, the gospel message isn't just the reward. It isn't just the finish line. Because we don't deserve that reward. The gospel message begins with what? Judgment. Judgment because... We sin, and we owe big time for that sin. If that isn't part of the message of the gospel, then the free offer of the gospel has absolutely no value at all. If we know that we're saved, but have no idea what we're saved from, then we really aren't saved. We still think we're doing just fine. And that's bad. So when the messenger says, here I am, Send me. Isaiah wasn't signing up for a two-week sightseeing trip to a poor country full of cute kids. He's signing up for the whole picture. Preaching of judgment and the preaching of the reward. We deserve judgment. The people of Judah deserved judgment. This isn't God being mean at one point in Scripture. This is God exacting judgment for those who sin. One person didn't sin. Jesus Christ. One person deserves the reward. What does the Scripture tell us? Call upon His name. And you can be saved. Saved from what? Judgment. He, Jesus, will give you that reward. But what does that entail? Does that reward take away your taint? No. He takes your judgment and suffered your punishment. So if we know, and this is important, and this is important for our gospel message as well, if we know that our sin... Cause the destruction of someone with immeasurable value and worth, how will we then change how we live? If we never hear about our sin, then we just simply write the date down that we went to church camp and prayed a prayer in our Bible, and then we live however we want and we trust in that date rather than trusting in our Savior because it really didn't cost anything at all. It cost me a little embarrassment to walk down front that time at church camp that the guy made me feel all emotional. That cost nothing. Our sin cost our Savior his life. It has immeasurable value. Isaiah's call was to a people who would not like this kind of message. Just like the people that we are called to preach to will not like the message about their sin. Which brings us to the next point. The task of the messenger. Verse 9. And he said. This is, this is God's message. Understand this. Go and say this to the people. Say these things. Keep on hearing. But do not understand. Keep on seeing. But do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And notice in verse 11, Isaiah probably feels a little bit of this tension. He's like, well, how long do I have to preach this message This isn't necessarily the message that I was hoping that I would get when I said, here I am, send me. How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Where do the unclean people need to go? outside the camp they need to be removed this is a hard message the message to the people is you're not going to hear or understand or see the message make heart make their hearts dull make their ears heavy their eyes blind so that they won't turn and be healed this is tough hopefully for you The message of Isaiah is to tell them that the Lord doesn't want them to hear the message. They aren't going to hear the message. And at first, we may think that this is cruel. And we may want to think, well, why would God do that? Notice in those appeals for short-term mission trips, they always stop at verse 8. And the idea is to attempt... To praise those who are going. Uh, here, who, who will go for us? Here am I, send me. And it's a, it's a big deal. These people have, have answered the call of the missions. And that's, that's great. But they skip the next few verses because those verses are really hard. And they point to a God who is the judge. They suggest that most of the time, the message is going to fall on ears that hear but do not understand meaning the message will be received with hearts of stone. And that's difficult. For me personally, this is a passage that I find particularly hard, especially when I consider the task of evangelism that we've been called to do. Evangelism is something hard by itself, as Todd was talking about in prayer. Having to talk to a family member or a friend that you know really well about Jesus is hard by itself. Much less... With this fear of knowing that they're probably going to reject you. And not just the message of Jesus, by the way. They're going to reject you. And that's hard. It's hard to have a message that we know that will not be received by most of the people who hear it. That's difficult. But when we look closely, this type of message is not at all uncommon. In fact, it's the way that our Lord Jesus taught Himself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We know, and if you read through the Gospels, even just a short section, you know that Jesus taught with a literary device called a parable. It's just kind of a, a story that has a message to it. And here, in this passage, Jesus is describing to his apostles why he chose to do that. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. should immediately ring in our ears from what we just read in Isaiah 6. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, Jesus knew his Bible. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And he goes on and he quotes the the prophecy of Isaiah. Again at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What is Jesus saying? This is hard. There are some... That will know. But who are they? There are some that will hear and understand. But who are they? Verse 11. There in Matthew 13. And he answered them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. To the apostles. Who were told to go to the ends of the earth. Teaching because they... There were others who would hear and listen and know. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 10. There are sheep who are not of this fold, and they must come also. The apostles were to go out and to preach the gospel. But to others, it has not been given. In fact, he says that to those who it has not been given, whatever they have will be taken away. Then he quotes again from Isaiah. All under the heaven, heading of, this is why Jesus taught in parables. Some will hear, some will see, some will understand. And so how do we as a church respond to that? There's two ways. We can look at this and we can see the picture of the gospel going out and everyone that we're preaching to. And we can grab a hold of the some who will understand. Or we can grab a hold of the many who won't understand. And sadly... What happens is many choose to grab a hold of the many who won't understand. And we can simply not trust the words of Jesus, but be desperate to make it to where all people can understand and hear and see. And in order to do that, what do we have to get rid of completely? Because what is the thing that they ultimately don't hear, see, and understand? God's Word. We have to get rid of that so that they will see, hear, and understand. And that is the definite temptation. And we all feel it every time someone asks, so how many go to your church? Every time someone asks that, you feel that temptation of, why don't we just do that little thing there? Look how many people are going over there. I feel it personally as a pastor. When I'm asked by other pastors, so is your church having any success? Which is just code word for are more people coming now? And the real temptation is, well, I bet I could get more people to come if I preached on something cutesy and just kind of left God's Word off to the side and left it for another day. Because God's Word's hard. It's unflinching. It's unmoving. The real problem with pitching out the Word is pitching out the understanding of our own sin because we really want to believe that we are a people of clean lips and that we're really just talking to people who just want to be a little bit cleaner than they already are, just like us. So we can become this empire to self-help, which another word for that is just self-worship. So how do we respond to this? I think verse 13 of Isaiah 6 has a lot for us. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or like an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Verse 13, what is going to remain in all the desolation and all the cleansing that happens in Judah? There will be some that will remain, a holy seed. The word there is singular. It's talking about a single seed. We know that this single seed or this person is the person of Jesus Christ, who alone is the remnant, who alone is the one who kept the faith, who escapes judgment in and of himself because he lived the perfect life. He did so, however, so that an unclean people like ourselves could be set free from that. He was clean. So that he could take my unclean away. The seed here then refers also to the people of God in Christ. Those who have been spared this ultimate judgment. Because Christ took it upon himself. And they've received the ultimate reward through no fault or merit of their own. Only because God is good. Atonement was done for them and to them because of Jesus. Not because of their sudden ascension to the truth or their sudden ability to hear, see, and understand. That's not going to happen outside of God's intervention. So let's take that back to evangelism. What does that look like for us as the people of God? It should free us up quite a bit. There are people that God has or will... Open their hearts and their minds and their ears to hear the truth of the gospel. They're out there. I know they are. Jesus said they were. We have no way of knowing who those people are. That would be nice if they had a little tag over their head. Future Christian. That's not the way this works, though. So who do we preach to? Everybody. Unflinching. The word of God. Everyone hears truth. The Word of God. And that gives us hope. We can preach faithfully. We can hold true to the Word of God. And we know that the people of God will emerge. There will be those who will hear and see and will understand as a result of the faithful preaching of the Word. Now, there will be many who won't. In fact, it's always important and okay to point that out, just like Isaiah did here. It was this primary message that he was given to talk about. Jesus spoke about it regularly. And I'll say it again. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And those people will, at some point in their lives, hear the word preached and respond to it. Because their ears will be opened. They'll finally hear the truth. And so we have the question before us that Paul presents to us in Romans, in Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what will we say when God, on his throne, high and lifted up, says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Hopefully we will say without reservation, here am I, send me. So in conclusion, let us be a people who are ready and willing to be sent, who are always preaching the truth of God's holy word, so that they, his people, will hear and see and understand. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, this is, it's difficult for us because we want our own words to be effective, and we want our own words to be To be the thing that convinces others. But it's not. Help us to be faithful. In preaching your words. Help us to be faithful in preaching your truth. Because that is the truth. That your people will hear, see, and understand. And they will call upon your name and be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.